Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the happy podcast where everybody's happy and nothing is bad. Uh, I'm Lauren Humphreys Brooks. <laughs> With me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hi. <laughs> how how are we all doing this week? I feel like the last the last couple of weeks have just been like, oh, great. <laughs> You know that scene in Zoolander where Derek is like being brainwashed and he's watching that video of Mugatu going happy, 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 ha 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 ha. ha. That's how I feel right now. <laughs> Convincing de- myself to be happy. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely tough. Um, I think for everybody right now. Yeah, um, it's been a hard week. It has been. Um, but we're going to try to talk about some somewhat happy stuff, some very not happy stuff. But, you know, this is a film podcast. So we're going to talk about film and various things around film. Uh, first of all, Karen, how, how are you otherwise? You know, I'm feeling so enlightened and refreshed this morning because I woke up and read this really great article about books by women <laughs> that men think that we uh, really the other men but you know that are worth reading and i'm so glad to know that there are books that women wrote because i wasn't aware and i just i feel so enlightened now <laughs> this of course is in reference to a guardian article um <laughs> in, in which male authors recommend books by by women because it wasn't even all male authors which is men like richard curtis the film director Oh, okay yeah mm-hmm. um and and because you know there's there's that um there is definitely a bias like we do do have to say that that men tend to what read, hell you say <laughs> men tend to read male authors more i think that the the statistics are like women are about 50 50 in terms of f- male and female authors and this is very binary of course um yeah. uh and and men are more like 80 20 um so you know kind of the pursuit of reading is generous it does sometimes that high (laughs) i mean i have to say i read a lot of male authors um there have been times where i've been like you know what i've read a lot of men i need to you know kind of get some women into the mix as it were uh and and some of that is is you know just what you're interested in and different types of of literature and things like that but yeah um but so these these men were like oh let me recommend these books by women and I mean, you know, it's not saying that any of them are bad books particularly, but it's just like, guys, can you be more basic? Mm-hmm. Like, is it possible for you to be any more basic than, you know, so like Margaret Atwood and Daphne du Maurier and George Eliot and Virginia Woolf and Jane Austen, just like, yes, we know, find us something interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God, you're boring. Exactly. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, that's how I am today. How are you? 
I'm fine. Uh, I had a bit of a rough night, but it was just mostly because I was lying in bed thinking about everything. And so I kept on waking up and being like, I should think about everything right now. Yes, um, that is healthy and definitely which is, leads no problems at all. Is exactly what one should do at three o'clock in the morning. Just like, I should think about all the things, all of yes. them, all at once. Um, <laughs> I keep thinking about, and I was telling you before we started recording, but I keep suddenly randomly remembering that I'm going to see New Kids on the Block tonight. Which is and cool. I'm very excited. It's the mixtape tour 2022. My friend and I went uh, in 2019 and they were supposed to come around again in 2021, but obviously that didn't happen. So as soon as tickets went on sale, we bought them and hoped that it would, the world would be okay. And it's tonight. So yeah. Awesome. That'll be yeah. fun. I'm very excited. Rick Astley is going to be there too. And I cannot <laughs> wait for, I can't wait. To, I'm going to do a recording when he, you know, does his famous song because my coworker constantly rickrolls people. Constantly. <laughs> and I cannot wait to send him a little video clip and be like, Oh my gosh, look what I just saw and him open that and it's gonna be that <laughs> song and it's gonna be beautiful. Uh you're very Gen X, by the way. Just like I'm gonna go see New Kids on the Block and Rick Astley's <laughs> gonna be there. It's just like I own wow. it. I am proud to be Gen X. Wow. Wow. I know. So like this is salt and pepper too. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a good night. <laughs> so Gen X. Yep. So Gen X. Yep. I wow. have nothing to be ashamed of. Well, you know, I was listening to NSYNC last night, so. <laughs> I do enjoy NSYNC. If they actually did a real reunion tour and Justin joined them, I would go. Oh yeah, totally. Like I, I, I was in, I was an InSync fan when I was, you know, twelve years old or whatever. <laughs> when they, um, when the new kids first started going back on tour and they did the NKOTBSB, I really wanted to go to that because I actually like Backstreet Boys too. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and all, any Gen Zers who might listen to us are just like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> oh, it's gonna be May. All right, I I know that. You know. <laughs> Speaking of that, did you see that some people are trying to change it to um, May from Turning Red? Yes. Instead of Justin Timberlake, I approve. I I but uh, but I think that this is just Frank millennial erasure. Quite honestly, like <laughs> I mean, that's fine. You know, <laughs> Justin had a good run. I think it's he time did. to to like let's have some you know female empowerment here. But I, I support that. I support that definitely, definitely. <laughs> it's, it's millennial Easter. Um, <laughs> so from the ridiculous to the even more ridiculous, let us talk about Cam. Um, which is, is it still going on? It's coming to a close, the last isn't day. it? Yeah, it's finally so coming to a close. by the time people hear this, it will be over and we will know what the Palm d'Or winner is. But mm -hmm. right now at time of recording, we do not know. But uh, this, this year at Cannes, there's been a lot of, a lot of issues. Um, there was, of course, there was a deadline article um, uh, uh, last week or the week before um, that was talking about how deadline basically was told by um, uh, was told by the 
the the can powers that be that they were not allowed to publish an interview with uh, festival head Terry from Mo, and basically. It was it was kind of a weird article because it was just like we're not allowed to publish this interview because we gave them copy approval after the interview, which right. I thought was a very odd thing because if you I I feel like you should be asking for copy approval before the interview and then the the outlet can decide yes or no, um, you know yes we want to do the interview no we don't want to do the interview to kind of be like oh then we're actually going to give the give you copy approval after we've done the interview seems sort of problematic. I kind of wish the deadline had just been like, well, sucks to be you, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Because one of the problems with this is obviously that Ken is, is really trying to control kind of um, their their PR, basically, and and trying to control what outlets are allowed to publish and what they're allowed to say and what they're not. And if if an outlet like Deadline actually went out and said, you know what, no, we're, we're going to challenge this. We're going to be like, no, you gave us the interview and we're not going to hold it back because you don't like something that was said, uh, then, then that would, Deadline is a big outlet. You know, that would give space for smaller outlets to be able to do that. And it would kind of begin to wrest some of the control away from Can. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they didn't. Well, but it's like, if they're that worried about it, why do they just tell Framo he can't give interviews? You know, like, just, just don't even do, just don't even put him out there. Then you don't have to worry about this. I'm not yeah. advocating for that. I think being more open and just embracing um, who they are is the way to go. But yeah. I- well, and and a lot of this, and one of the things that Deadline reported on was that um, that some of the the things at issue were like from Mo responding to a question about Roman Polanski, mm-hmm. um, and and the the writer says potential with a, a thought provoking but also potentially problematic answer and you're kind of like mm, i wonder i wonder what that's about uh the, and then there were also comments made in response to a question about the lack of female filmmakers so there's a particular view that can is trying to produce of course you know now deadline publishes this article it makes them look even worse because we're not actually hearing what did they what did he actually say you know right um, I do, I do love the the total lack of self awareness with which whoever wrote and published this actually said. Nevertheless, we deadline we were accused of pursuing clickbait and trashy journalism. Oh my gosh, <laughs> deadline was accused of that. I'm shocked. <laughs> no, but at the same time, it kind of like it. So you're pursuing clickbait. By publishing uh, an interview that someone gave you, like that's that's yeah. what my, that's what I find really weird. It's just like, well, I said something that I shouldn't have, so you can't publish it. It's like that's not how interviews work, but okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's it's problematic, and and Ken has been kind of um, has been accused of a lot of things, and in, in particularly in recent years, this issue of the lack of female filmmakers. Um, the treatment of people on the red carpet. There was the whole issue of high heels on the red carpet a couple of years ago. Yeah. And uh, and now there are more red carpet controversies and none of this particularly surprises me, but it's, it is really disappointing. Uh, so Variety published an article about an indigenous uh, Canadian producer, Kelvin Redfers, who is a member of the Denny Nation and he was wearing moccasins on the red carpet. And he was essentially stopped by red carpet security and um, 
and told that, you know, this isn't, it isn't appropriate. It's not black tie. Uh, so you need to, you need to go and change into, into appropriate attire. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a problem that has come up again. And again, we talked about the, um, the high heel issue, which can has finally been like, you know, women don't have to wear high heels on the red carpet anymore. Right. Well, that, like, I remember, because this was around 2015, 2016, when that really hit the fan. And I remember what I didn't know at the time was that one of the women that was involved in that was actually, uh, she's now one of the editors-in-chief at Variety. And um, anyway, one of the women that was in that group, she was wearing a boot. She had broken her foot. And they still were giving her a hard time about it. And so it's like they weren't even making exceptions for an actual medical condition. Well, that's that's the thing. Like, can, you know, and obviously this is down to the red carpet security, but they're taking orders from someone, right? Right, yeah. And, and can is like gained this reputation of being, they obviously really want to control their image. Yes. Um, but in doing so, they're making their image look worse and worse because they're looking like they're not inclusive. They're looking like they're not actually moving with the times, as it were. Right. Um, and, and the whole idea of like women have to wear high heels, that's insane. That's actually like, you know, what, what are, what era are we living in anymore? Right. Um, yeah. uh, one of the, one of the things that was also mentioned in the article about Redfords was uh, um, an issue of a, your friend, Clayton, mm -hmm. um, being pulled aside for wearing a white tuxedo instead of a black or blue one. And then pointing out that like a white man where also wearing a white uh, tuxedo was walking on, was walking the carpet without being pulled aside. Right. And while, while that was happening, so I, I talked to Clayton and he was telling me the story. So um, he got stopped. He was with his editor. He got, they both, well, Clayton got stopped, but his editor stopped with him and was being told, nope, nope, black or blue, black or blue. And then the editor, Ramin, he pulls up, some pictures from that red carpet and like this is what's been going by already and pulled up a picture of ryan gosling who was wearing a white coat and so then the security guard said well i have to get approval and so it was while they were waiting for him to get approval some other white guy i don't know who it was walked by in a white tux too and clayton's like what about him and the security guard still was like i have to get approval and he did and clayton was allowed to go in but it was just like, why? Nobody's saying anything to that guy. What could possibly be the difference here? Clayton yeah, it is Afro-Latino. My God, what could possibly be the difference? <laughs> I figured I should probably mention that for people who don't know who Clayton Davis is. But, <laughs> um, yeah, he is black and Puerto Rican. And yeah, so... Um, one other thing that I wanted to just on the subject of Redverse that I thought was really interesting, um, in a disappointing way. So, I mean, so these moccasins that he was wearing, he wore a tux, but he wanted to wear these moccasins because he wanted to have something that referenced his culture. He was mm -hmm. there with a, with a contingent of filmmakers that are from an indigenous, uh, filmmaking group, um, the Indigenous Screen Office is the name. It's headquartered in Toronto. And so he wanted to wear something 
that would be reflective of his culture. And he said, I was hoping to wear an example of something that would be formal for my culture, which was a beautiful pair of moccasins that were actually beaded by my sister. I was pretty excited to wear those. And then he goes on to talk about what happened. And basically, if they had shown up in complete formal tribal cultural outfits, then they probably would have been allowed in. But because he was wearing a tux, Mm -hmm. the moccasins like sent up an alert. Well, and he, he makes some really good points about this, about, you know, the differences of what formal wear is in different cultural contexts. Right. And and so. So, yeah, it's it's like, oh, well, and, and in some ways, you know, it's almost like, well, if you were if you're dressed in full full regalia, you are like at some level you're performing for the white people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're simply wearing wearing an item that represents your culture, while also pay mind to the what what the western concept of formal wear is um then you're getting this like bizarre reaction just like you're not being formal or something like that um it it is an interesting conversation it does seem like ken is at least willing to have that conversation but you do you do kind of want to you you want to be like you know again in this day and age (laughs) Um, how are we still having these conversations? How, how are we still like, you know, we're going to, to force people, particularly people of color, right. um, anyone who isn't white, essentially, uh, or male, to, to, you know, conform to a particular and very outdated concept of what formality is and what is appropriate attire mm-hmm. for a film festival. Right. And it's like, I get that for their big red carpets, they don't want, you know, people wearing just jeans or schlubby clothes. But here's the thing that uh, didn't get included in the Variety article. So Clayton has his run in with this whole tux thing. Kelvin Redverse has his problem with the moccasins. At the same screening where Clayton was almost turned away, Jeff Wells who runs Hollywood Elsewhere, who is a disgusting human being and should not be allowed to write about film and should not be getting the access that he's still getting. I have had multiple people describe him as looking like a homeless person at that screening, and he was even bragging online about being the only person in the room not wearing a tuxedo. Why was that allowed? Good question. <laughs> yeah. And and on top of that, you know, just reading reading Redver's account, listening to Clayton describe what happened to him, it's bad enough that they're trying to turn people away for these stupid reasons, but it's also the way that they're talking to people, too. Yeah. They're not just like, oh, I'm so sorry, that's not allowed. You have to go change and come back. It's, no, you need to leave. You're not welcome here. And that just is like, it just piles it on even more. It makes it so much worse. I mean, they need to change and they need to be more inclusive and open to what is allowed, but they really need to change the way they speak to people. Yeah, there's there's obviously an aggressiveness. And and again, and you're you're like, so you're talking about the red carpet security people, but they are representative of the kind of the tenor of the festival. And they're being told what to do. Mm -hmm. Right. They're being told this is acceptable. This isn't. And the, if the reaction is just like, you're not allowed to be here, you, you're not welcome here, that sends a pretty strong message. Exactly. exactly. Uh, and, you know, I think the can really needs to consider, and at this point, they, they really need to consider how they want to be represented because they look bad and they've been looking bad for several years now. 
mm-hmm. um, as, as more and more of these things have happened, as we keep on having these conversations, as we're still talking about, you know, why aren't there more female filmmakers represented in competition? Um, but, you know, we let random white dudes get their films at can. So. Right. Well, and that's the thing. I, I mean, I don't know if you wanted to go into that now, but I mean, in the whole history of can which has been going since basically since sort of the 30s they had it they had one in 1939 and then really got in got going after world war ii but in that whole history we'll see what happens today only two women have won the palm door mm-hmm. ever you know and and so yeah there's there's so many there's so many problems with can and we keep allowing it because of really because it's glitzy and glamorous quote unquote but also because of the movies that they do show there Mm -hmm. well and let's talk about some of the things that can (laughs) has been showing um so this this was kind of you know speaking of can in some ways is being like um (laughs) bad timing right uh so one of the things that that came out recently (laughs) is that um Kevin Spacey has been charged with four counts of sexual assault against three men in the United Kingdom. Uh, this was announced uh, this, this past Thursday, and the charges follow a review of the evidence gathered by Metropolitan Police. Uh, the Crown Prosecution Service reminds all concerned that criminal proceedings against Mr. Spacey are active and that he has a right to a fair trial. Uh, he has also been charged with causing a person to engage in penetratives penetrative sexual activity without consent. So we know about Kevin Spacey. We've heard a lot of stuff about Kevin Spacey recently. He has been pretty, he's been one of the faces of, of the Me Too movement and, um, and some of the, some of the, uh, the, the problems of, of what's been going on. And, um, and at the same time as this comes out, Kevin Spacey has not one, but two films at camp. Yes. And this was something that was discussed uh, in, in greater depth because Kevin Spacey is not the only accused sexual abuser who is at, who has been trying to make a comeback. Um, but but the men's careers, Lauren, their yes. careers. Christ, Christ, yes. Yeah. So um, uh, the film is Peter Five Eight is one of the one of the Kevin Spacey films that is is currently at Cannes. And um, there's another film, The Corrupt Cop Thriller Mace, starring James Franco, which is also at Cannes. Uh, Roman Polanski is shopping a new movie called The Palace. Luc Besson, um, who's been accused of rape by several actresses, ha- is shopping June and John. So there is like a, a buildup of all of these things happening. And one of the things that we're seeing is that all of these men who've been credibly accused of sexual assault, right? Sometimes Some, charged with it. So, and convicted of it, yep. um, have essentially been, been like trying to, to make their comebacks, right? You look at someone like Kevin Spacey, I do wonder how these Kevin Spacey films even got past the vetting at Cannes. Like, why would they stand up and be like, oh yeah, we'll totally take Kevin Spacey movies. Um, but there, there is this idea that there is this, there is still a market for them that actually in some ways, the fact that they're embattled stars are going to 
um, you know, is going to make the film more attractive to some people. People are going to see it as kind of like a, a curiosity almost. But you do kind of wonder at what point are we are we really going to to stop doing this? You know, at what point is a man's career actually going to be ruined? Um, <laughs> I'm going to just take a shot in the dark here and say never. <laughs> I, don't I mean, know. it it feels like that. Yeah, it does. It feels like that because it feels like no matter what you do, and you know, and I do think that Kevin Sp- Kevin Spacey's in a lot of trouble. Yeah, uh, and and the these new uh, accusations and these new charges are you know becoming more and more problematic. But the fact that we continue to talk about him, you know, I, I mentioned on Twitter the the fact that he was one of the first people that we talked about way back when. Uh, when when this podcast got started, it was like Weinstein, Kevin Spacey was was one of the major ones. Yeah. And we're still five years later, we're having this conversation again. Um, you know, he's got new movies coming up. People are employing him. He is getting, you know, he's getting play at Cannes. At what point do we finally say, does anyone finally say, does, do the producers finally say, we're not doing this anymore? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know that they can obviously tell there's a problem because they're shopping these movies out of the country. They're going to Cannes. They're going to Berlin All. They'll probably go to Venice because they're trying to find international buyers because they know that those movies can't get released here. It won't work. People will not accept them. Look at what happened with Woody Allen's last movie. Um, It finally, I think... I heard it had finally showed up like randomly on airplanes. <laughs> like people could watch it on the plane. Um but yeah, it's they're that's why they're at that they're taking them to Cannes because they're hoping someone will buy them because they've put in the the time and effort and the money to produce these things and it's like just give it up. Why why do you have to hang your hat on Kevin Spacey? There are other actors. And then one of them, it's like, I don't remember who it was that said it, but one was saying, like, this could only be made with Kevin Spacey. Why? First of all, that's bullshit. Second of all, why are you so convinced that that's true? Well, yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's this this attitude of, well, we're just going to ignore all of these things that we know. It's it's not like these are, you know, vague rumors anymore, right? Right. We know this shit. There have been accusations, public accusations. There are literal court cases and police cases about these guys. Mm -hmm. And we're still having this, like, um, this, this conversation, just like, well, he's the only one who could play. It's just like, obviously not. Obviously not, because they managed to replace him with Christopher Plummer in a movie. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Who is dead now, R.I.P. But uh, that's the thing is, like, if Kevin Spacey is the only person that can play that role, then it's obviously not a very good role. Yeah. Because there are other actors that are just as good or better than him. Like, he's not the greatest actor alive. Uh, he's not the greatest actor even that's ever lived. And... If he's the only one that can play it, then to me, what that sounds like is that it's just, it's not a lot of acting. It's just Kevin Spacey being Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's how I read it. Yeah, no, exactly. And and that doesn't play anymore. I think that, you know, his persona, particularly in films, has been creepy for a long time. Yeah. Now we know that he is actually creepy. Right. Uh, as like a human being. And that, that. So has any of it been acting? 
Yeah, exactly. I know. No, I know. It's 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 very disturbing and it's it's exhausting. You know, I do have to say for for someone like Polanski, I know that he's having difficulty selling his films. Um, he had real difficulty selling the the Dreyfus Affair film, and um, apparently they're having a lot of difficulty selling his latest one, which you know makes sense. And I'm glad that they're having difficulty with it. And, and in fact, one of his producers came out and being like, "Oh, he's being mistreated by you know even the French are kind of beginning to balk at um, uh, at purchasing Polanski films," and that's fair, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think. But it, it's amazing, you know, like how like how long does this have to go on, basically? And and yeah, it's, it's beginning to feel like, well, forever, maybe, um, you know, maybe yeah. there is never actually going to be a change. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I we, we talked about this a little bit last week. And then as the despair started to grow throughout this week, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it really is easy to, to make flippant comments like that. And like, oh, it's never going to change. But the reality is that it will, because it's starting yeah. to. We we can see signs of it. It's just, it takes a lot longer to make big, sweeping changes than we necessarily want it to. Yeah, and there, as we talked about last week, there is this reactionism going on. There are, you know, people are entrenching themselves more and more and trying to defend, particularly men, problematic men, um, violent men. I mean, you're talking about, if you're talking about Kevin Space, you're talking about someone who has, like, actual police cases open against him mm-hmm. um and also really weird series of of accusers dying uh which is very very distressing um yeah. you know not i i never buy into conspiracy theories with these things but at the same time you're like this is odd that mm-hmm. so many kevin spacey accusers are just committing suicides right yeah well and that's the thing i agree with you i don't i don't buy into most conspiracy theories but i do think that it says a lot about the situation if you know if this many people that have been involved feel like suicide is their way out yeah yeah so it's it's difficult and it's depressing um i do think the fact you know again the the fact that we're even talking about it the fact that this is an issue um that you know they're having difficulty selling these films does say that we're making progress because 20 years ago, that 10 years ago, even that this would not be uh, particularly a subject for um, for conversation. Like we wouldn't even be worrying about it. And you have to remember with people like Woody Allen and Roman Polanski, we've known about them for a very, very long time. It's not like this is a new thing. The fact that Polanski is having such difficulty selling his stuff in Hollywood, the fact that um, Allen is having such difficulty selling his stuff does begin to indicate that there there is a change that has happened. And that is yeah. happening. Yeah, definitely. So These positive things. things. Time. Do not despair. Is positive things. Message. Yes. <laughs> We're not going to talk about any more about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing, except to say that I'm really tired and I'm glad that whatever it is, I'm glad that it's almost over. The at least the court cases, but you know. There have been some really great articles kind of picking apart why this this particular thing has been so damaging. I do think we need to note particularly women supporting Johnny Depp and the way in which a lot of internalized misogyny and gatekeeping and patriarchy has really come into play here. Yeah. And it's it's dangerous and it's damaging and it's very insidious. It's one of those things that, you know, we don't we don't tend to talk about how much 
women participate in the oppression of other women. Um, but we have to remember that without women, without the gatekeepers, uh, patriarchy couldn't survive. If it was just men, it would not survive. It's the women who feel that they actually have an investment in it. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that's all I'll say about that. If you have anything to say, you could go for it. <laughs> uh, no, I think you said it <laughs> We're good. <laughs> so let's see how much more depressed we can get. Um, yeah, I, want, I wanted to talk a little bit about violence in film. And this is something that is coming up again, uh, obviously because of the shooting in Texas. Um, and there've been a lot of conversations about you know, what the actual problem is in America and why is it a problem? Why do we have so many shootings? Why do we have so much mass violence? And the answer is guns and the availability of guns. That's the answer. But there is like, I think a conversation to be had in terms of what we do on this podcast and, and what we're engaged with. I think that there is a conversation to be had about violence in film and what film is responsible for and how film is kind of in part both reflecting but also influencing the culture. Um, so do, do you have initial thoughts on that, Karen? Um, so I know just related there was a big a big deal made um yesterday friday because two shows hit streaming this week that is stranger things chapter four or i guess just stranger things four on netflix and the new obi-wan kenobi show on disney plus and i started watching both of them and it's interesting because obi-wan starts with a recap of the prequels and just to kind of catch you up to where obi-wan's story was when last we saw him but then the show kind of starts with this group of kids who i don't know if you remember episode three revenge of the sith but i do <laughs> the big thing about anakin that fully turned him over to the dark side was when he went over to the Jedi school and killed all the younglings. And um, I remember when that, like when that movie came out and I was so mad because there'd been such a big thing throughout the original trilogy about how they're still good in, in Darth Vader, that he can be turned back, he can be redeemed and you see him get redeemed. But then when you go back and find out what he actually did, I'm like, no, fuck that. There's no redemption from that. What? No. And I, I've just been mad about it ever since. Anyway, um, but what this starts off with is like four or five kids that actually had escaped that um, that slaughter. And then they go and they kind of end up in all sorts of different places around the, the galaxy. And I actually thought for a minute that they were going to show like how those kids survived and stuff. Luckily, they did not. But it was very jarring because it was just like this, the Uvalde shooting happened basically four days ago, you know, from when this show premieres and it just goes right into it. It just goes right into kids being killed at school. And it was just so like, what are you, what are you guys doing, Disney? What the hell? And then I turn on Stranger Things and there's a big disclaimer that says this was all filmed before, like, 
a year ago. So like none of this had happened yet. And it opens on a scene where like it's back to when Eleven was a kid. She was like seven or so. And there was an incident at the facility, the lab where she was and a bunch of kids died. And it was just like, I, I don't understand what is wrong with filmmakers. And I appreciate that they at least had a disclaimer on it. I appreciate that they, you know, had a sensitivity warning, but it just, I, I just, I just felt so like, why do we even need to see this as part of our entertainment? And what, what goes through the minds of people, creators who think that this kind of storytelling is good or necessary or worthwhile? Especially in a fictionalized, mm -hmm. like, entertainment type of situation. Well, that, that was one of the things that actually, when, the, when people began talking about this yesterday, and of course, it's, it's because of the Uvalde shooting, it's so fresh in our minds. But, mm -hmm. you know, even if you think about, um, you know, Str oh, Stranger Things was filmed a year ago. Yeah, we've had multiple school shootings. Yeah. Um, and, and mass shootings, generally, in the United States. So, this, so it was filmed after Parkland. Right. It, it was filmed after all of these, after Columbine, you know, if you really after want to go back Newtown, far. Yeah. After Newtown. Yeah. So one of the things that I began thinking about or considering is the, is exactly that, exactly what you're talking about, this use of children um, and women actually, but, but specific, but we talk more about the fridging of female characters to kind of drive the male plot forward. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't talk as much about using children as kind of these, their children are, are like, um, in, in filmmaking terms, the way that filmmakers sometimes use children is the same way that the filmmakers sometimes use animals, uh, as these kind of representations of innocence to enforce the fact that the bad guy is bad. Right. right. So you kill a kid, um, you're a bad person. But at the same time, they're dehumanizing the children themselves. They're saying that like, these are not full people. They are simply there to in much the same way that that we that female characters get fridged. They're really there to drive the plot forward. They're not really there. Or maybe one of them is is a full human being because it's the one, it's the person that escapes. Right. Mm -hmm. And and we're going to follow their trauma. And so there is this kind of using the trauma of this kind of violence to as as a plot device, as something to drive the narrative forward. Very often the narrative of someone who isn't. So so, for instance, the revenge of the Sith, the whole point of that is not, you know, the kids. The point is in the film, the, the point is this shows that Anakin has fully gone over to the dark side. Right. right. That's what the whole goal of that is. So, and, and even to the point, like you say, and then we're, we're meant to years later, accept the idea that he can still be redeemed, even though he murdered a whole bunch of kids. Right. So it, it quite obviously doesn't treat the children as people. It treats them as plot devices. Right. Um, and it seems like the, that that's still happening and we're beginning to treat, you know, there, there was recently, um, I think one of the writers for Abbott Elementary was- Yeah, Quinta Brunson. Yeah, came, came out and talked about stop, basically people were suggesting to her, why don't you do a school shooting episode? And it's like that, no, no, we're not going to be doing that. But it, it is like this jump from, um, 
from from cinema from television into reality and vice versa that it's essentially like we're going to treat this as a plot device mm-hmm. we're going to treat this as a way to have a conversation or something like that and it's it's very similar in the way that a lot of filmmakers use rape or violence against women as a plot device as something to jumpstart the story not really to actually talk about the reality of violence or um the suffering of children or to make you care about individual characters they're just they're treated as less than people i remember back in well this would have been early 2000s the show one tree hill when the 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 characters were still in high school they did a school shooting episode and the shooter turned out to be a kid in their class someone they all knew and it was like build as this really pivotal episode because of some of the things that happened and some of the kids that got affected by it. But I remember watching it. I haven't watched it in years, so I might not remember some of the details correctly, but um, I just, I remember watching that episode and thinking, why are they spending so much time trying to humanize the shooter and trying to um, make some of these characters feel bad? Cause there's this whole part where this kid had a monologue about the ways that he had been mistreated by some of the other kids in the class. And I understand that the, that sometimes they're... Uh, I'm trying to think how to say this properly. Sometimes the motivations behind certain acts of violence come from a place of immense pain. But I think when you're doing something that has entertainment value, and that's your main focus, and that's your main goal... I think spending a lot of time humanizing these people, and this is 20 years ago almost that this happened, you know, I I just, I think that that is such a confusing and mixed message. And I think it really, um, I think it really doesn't get, sorry, I'm trying to, I'm trying to say what I'm trying to say without saying it wrong. Um, no, well, I think that's a really difficult thing. That, that's the problem. I, I remember when Columbine happened, and Columbine was kind of the major moment, right? Yeah. Um, for for a lot of us. But one of the conversations were the fact that, the, that these kids were bullied. Right. right? Which they were. Um, but then it turned into this, like, well, whose fault is it? Mm-hmm. Right? Is it the fault of the people who bullied them? Is it the fault of the adults who didn't pay attention? Is it the fault of the kids themselves? You know? And so there were all of these different layers of blame basically right well because there's lots of people that have been bullied and they didn't grow up to do that you know yeah and and that's exactly exactly well it's just like you know there are a lot of disaffected men in the world there are a lot of people with mental illness there are a lot of people who have been mistreated in their lives vast majority of them do not get a gun and go and shoot up a school like that's that's just true right so you have to look elsewhere at some level and and you do also have to say that there is such a thing as personal choice Mm -hmm. um choosing to do something like that is is a a factor but at the same time you don't want to you don't want to look at these people and say they're simply monsters and therefore separate from us at some level because they're not they're a part of the society and what they do is a part of the society so it's a really difficult balance to to make because you kind of want to be like why are we humanizing them but also why are we dehumanizing them right right well and i guess 
my thing is just we have enough of this in the real world that why do we even need this as part of our uh part of our entertainment because yeah you know like that's one thing that i saw you know some this week of people just not wanting to watch the news because oh i see enough of this it's like no you (laughs) well any of it is too much but you know it's it's just we it's desensitizing us Mm -hmm. because it's become just something that like i mean i know the difference between you know fiction and real life but there are a lot of people that they just don't separate the two and they just get fed these images over and over again and mm-hmm. then it just makes them stop caring about the real world as much and not taking it you know as seriously as they need to well and i think that that's where you get into the this this issue of you know and there's always been this argument you know just violence violence on film violence in video games etc cause these kinds of things no no, they don't. But it is also a, a part of the culture, definitely. Mm-hmm. And and I, I do think when you're looking at shows that use things like school shootings or the death of children um, as plot devices, that you there there is that sense of desensitization that these are not real people, right? right. And and that's what is is underlying. And these are not actual human beings with, you know, hopes and fears and all of those things. They are plot devices and if you're using them as plot devices and if shows and and films continue to use them as plot devices for kind of the creation of pathos the creation of trauma driving the narrative forward um then you really get into uh, a lot of those problematic relationships about at, at what point does art have to take some responsibility for what it represents Mm-hmm. And to say like, you know, and, and again, it, it, you kind of go back to some of the analogies with um, that we've talked about a lot about the representation of violence against women. Right. Um, you know, is it being done because you're actually being sympathetic to the woman? Is it necessary? Is it something that we need to see? Is it something that we need to, to you know, have is does this film, does this show need to have this conversation? Um, and, and why is it being done? Who is filming it? And I do think that we, we treat children in cinema a lot of the time as, at best, secondary human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that kind of came out about this, and, and I, I found it interesting that there were like these two conversations going on at the same time about violence in media, was, uh, and I have to say this isn't a review, and he's been very like clear that this isn't a review, but the, the film critic Ty Burr, wrote a, a fairly long post about the relationship between um, Top Gun and specifically the release of Top Gun Maverick and uh, and the, the shooting in Texas and kind of the adoration and, and sort of um, idolization of violence. And, you, and one of the things that I had some difficulty with this one because, you know, he's kind of making these analogies and saying like, you know, well, well, this is military propaganda. It's like, we've talked about how top, how, especially I haven't seen Top Gun Maverick yet, um, but I have seen Top Gun. Top Gun is military propaganda in a lot of ways. It's representing the military as being very sort of exciting and romantic and nobody dies apparently. (laughs) Um, Goose died. Goose did die. (laughs) 
But like the good guys don't kill anyone, even though they're literally learning how to operate weapons that kill people, right? No, they kill people. Maverick shot down three MIGs. <laughs> See, there you go. Um, <laughs> I completely forgot. But so I, I do think that that's, you know, that's kind of the, the side that I, I kind of get where Burr is coming from on this one, is that it isn't engaging particularly with the reality of what war is, right? So, oh, he shot down three MIGs. It's like, oh, there were actual people in those. Right, yeah. Right. Well, and... because, yeah, because that came at a time when you just don't see the faces. Like, the, yeah. I mean, it was in Star Wars, too, and the, like, Iron Eagle and, like, all those Cold War 80s movies where you don't see the faces of the pilots in the next plane or you don't see the faces of the soldiers mm -hmm. on the ground. They're always wearing these, like, dark helmets and dark, um, uh, visors and stuff so that you yeah. don't have to have a face to them yeah and and that dehumanization definitely means that it allows us to enjoy our heroes to enjoy kind of the excitement of the imagery without really thinking about the fact that you know in reality this is you know warfare right um and you are killing people and those are actual people in other in planes and those are people on the ground when you drop bombs um, one of the things that I kind of took issue with, I think, with with some of what Burr is saying, and I think he's coming from a very emotional place, right? Yes. And and that's completely understandable. And like I say, this isn't a um, this isn't a review. He's not saying that this is a, a an honest review of, of Top Gun Maverick or anything like that. But there is this like lack of understanding of genre almost, and understanding of how we see these things, right? So this. Top Gun is not about guns, really. Um, it isn't about, you know, soldiers on the ground. It isn't those kind of romanticized views of World War II or, um, or actual warfare. It's very clean. It's very, um, and you know, and that, that's part of the problem. It is very jingoistic. But I, I have difficulty making the leap from that to, um, to like real life violence, the kind of which we see in places like Uvalde. I think that there's another conversation to be had about the issues of warfare and the way that American films represent the American military. But the 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 analogy is kind of getting lost for me a little bit. Uh, do you have yeah. thoughts on that? Oh, I do. What do you think? Um, I do. And I agree with, like, I try not to judge too harshly on a piece like this because it obviously is coming from a place of grief and mourning. And, and that is something that matters, you know, having that understanding of that frame of mind. I think that, that this same type of article would have been a lot more effective if it had, ref you know, been more about references to Stranger Things or Obi-Wan, which both came out this week. And like I already mentioned the issues there, I think with Top Gun Maverick, like one of the things that he talks about is how it's this, um, there's no country named like we don't know who the enemy is in this movie and that is very true and that is very intentional i mean the the original movie came out in 1986 the height of the cold war and was very much a cold war movie and for a while when we decided to pretend russia wasn't a terrible place and run by terrible people the movie started to feel very dated very quickly and and it's only been in recent years when people realized, oh, no, wait, Russia still sucks. Um, that now it's kind of, you know, relevant again. But anyway, um, I I just, I, I look at, at 
pieces like this and I feel like it's 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 really painting a broad painting with a broad brush because I think that if you really look at what Top Gun Maverick is all about it's about keeping humans in the conflict because um because we need to keep war and violence humanized when we just start making it about drones and detaching people from it then certain decisions really do become um much more heartless i guess is what i'm trying to say so this feels Mm -hmm. like a reactionary piece which i totally understand that kind of misses a big point of what the movie itself is about and it's interesting yeah and and i mean but i also i get what he's saying um because like we do again see faceless you know villains or whatever like the the enemy we don't see who they are um there's definitely that we don't see if any of them bail out and survive you know so we have to assume that they don't um but i think that the movie itself is really um it's funny because there are definitely going to be people who are going to see i'm sort of conflating two things but there's going to be people who see this as a military propaganda piece just like the first one was and i get that because the planes are cool and watching them fly and do these cool maneuvers are like yeah that looks fun it looks terrifying and and i would puke a lot but it still it looks really cool but what the movie itself is saying is that the military in a weird way um has it's almost like if you really pay attention it's kind of anti the military because it really is about how they've become more uh detached and less people centered like all in the name of trying to protect our own people but uh in doing so it's it's all about taking the human element out of it i guess i feel like i'm kind of yeah anyway but no, that's that's an interesting perspective. That's that's one that I hadn't heard in, in all of these arguments um, and, and everything. And like I said, I haven't actually seen the film, so I kind of wanted mm-hmm. to let you say things about it, given, yeah. you know, I've seen the original one. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that when we talk about certain genres of films, there there are these genres of action films where basically it, it is like people die, but nobody really dies right. kind of thing. So there's collateral damage, but there is no collateral damage. You don't think about the fact that, you know, there, that there might be people in the cars that just, you know, spun off the freeway, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, and that that's kind of the genre that these films operate in. And you do kind of, it's one of those things where you kind of go back and forth about it, where it's like, well, is this desensitizing us? Is this making us think that that real life, that violence really is like this, right? That there aren't any, hu- there's no human casualties to it. It's just yeah. cool things blowing up, right? right. At the same time, I, I do think that we have to un- understand that I, I think that audiences understand genre. Yeah. And we understand that there is a difference between film violence and real life violence. One of them being that in a film or in Revenge of the Sith, none of those children died. Those right. are those are those actors are still alive, yes. right? And and so what is being represented on screen is not reality, right? It is an experience. And so then you have to think about okay, well, what does this say about how we understand our reality? Um, how, what does this say about what our culture values or doesn't value? 
and what we find fun or don't find fun. You know, watching stuff blow up is cool. That's fun to do. You don't want, you know, at the same time, you're like, I don't want to see people die because that's not cool. Um, so, and, and in fact, there are a number of action films now that go out of their way almost to, to assure us that there's no one in the car, right? That there's no, there aren't people being affected by this. It's just kind of silly action movie fun. Right. Um, so I don't know. It's an interesting issue. I do, I do think that it's worth reading Burr's, um, Burr's article, again, with the understanding that this is a very emotional piece and it's an emotional reaction. Uh, I think that he's, in terms of, you know, critical understanding of, uh, of films, of, uh, of action movies and what different films are trying to do, I think that he's missing a beat a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, war movies are inherently violent anyway. And yeah. that's a very specific, like you say, that's a very specific genre. So any final thoughts on that? <laughs> this issue um... of cinematic violence? Uh, just that I do think that we, we need to be careful not to blame the movies for the violence in the world, mm -hmm. like, uh, you kind of mentioned before, but at the same time, um, we need to be mindful of what violence in movies does, uh, does say about who we are as a culture, yeah. and what our priorities are. Well, I go back to an, an unfortunately still topical documentary, um, Bowling for Columbine, Mm -hmm. uh, by Michael Moore, and he actually he addresses this this question of violence in music, video games, films, etc., and history, and points out the fact that it's not like other countries don't have violent movies. It's not like other countries don't have violent video games. So what is the difference between the United States and all these other countries? The difference is the accessibility of guns. Yeah. Period. Yeah, um, it's that we have access to the weapons that the movies are about. Yeah. And, and that's, so that's why we see more gun violence in the United States. It's actually pretty simple. Um, but, but yeah, I also agree with you that, that we do need to, to look at what these films say about our culture and what they contribute to our culture. Mm -hmm. Well, that's been depressing. Uh, I kind of <laughs> wanted to finish off with something maybe a little bit happier or at least good. Uh, and just talk briefly about what we've been watching. If we've been watching things that are maybe uplifting or not depressing. <laughs> yeah. So, so what recommendations do you have, Karen? What are some films that you've been watching this week? Stuff that you think people should check out? Okay. So there's one that I think proceed with caution because it could be triggering for some people, but uh, there's a movie that's out on Prime Video this week. It's brand new. I'm still working on trying to write a review for it. But it's called Emergency. That's what my um, recommendation was on Instagram. But uh, it's called Emergency. And it's about these three college roommates. They're about to graduate from college. And it's sort of this big last hurrah kind of night where all the frats do this kind of a pub crawl type of situation where... Um, people just go from one party to the next and just get progressively drunker. And so they're, these guys are excited to, to attempt this and they run home really quick to change. By the way, two of them are black and one of them is, is Latino. And they walk into their house, which the door is open, and there's a passed out white girl in their living room. And that's, you know, concerning. 
for many reasons. And so it's it's kind of one of those, it's a satire. So there are parts where it's very, very funny. Um, but there's also parts where it's really frightening because they're trying to figure out how to proceed, what to do, how to get her help um, without getting themselves into, um, you know, a big problem or potentially getting shot. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things where <laughs> one choice leads to another one and those aren't always great choices, but you totally understand why they're doing what they're doing. And uh, like I said, it's it's a satire. It's very, very funny when it's funny and it's, it's um, very chilling when it's not. And I do recommend it. Awesome. Yeah, you, you've mentioned this a couple of times, actually. And I, I, I'm interested to see it. Yeah, yeah. It just hit, just finally hit Prime Video this weekend. So, I mean, maybe kind of a weird recommendation given the conversation we just had. <laughs> but <laughs> I think that um, without spoiling anything, I think that it is one that people can can safely watch and find a little bit of hope in the world. Good. Yeah. Good. All right. Awesome. Um, well, for me, actually, you know, my, my recommendation for this week was probably one of the more depressing films. <laughs> um, it's not a happy movie, particularly. It is a lot of fun. Uh, my, my recommendation had been The Haunted Palace, um, starring Vincent Price, who's always delightful. It was his birthday this past week. It was actually the birthdays of Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee and Vincent Price, um, all of whom were born within a couple hours of each other, actually, in different wow. years. Um, so, and they they were good friends and everything. And so, so it was it was kind of fortuitous because I was like, why have I been watching Vincent Price movies all week? And I was like, ah, it must be because of this. Um, but The Haunted Palace is, is loads of fun. It's a, it's a Roger Corman film from uh, from like mid-1960s. Uh, it's called The Haunted Palace and supposedly an adaptation of an Edgar Allan Poe poem. It has nothing to do with an Edgar Allan Poe poem. <laughs> it's, act, it's actually an adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft story um, called The Case of Charles Dexter Ward and, uh, and basically focuses on this man who comes to... Uh, who's, who's the descendant of a man who was burned for um, witchcraft many years before. And then uh, generations later, his, his descendant comes back to his hometown and to take over the, um, uh, the land and the, the haunted palace, the, the mansion that his ancestor built and becomes gradually obsessed with this idea of his, his ancestor. And it, it gets clearer and clearer that he's actually being possessed by the spirit of his dead ancestor. And it's really good. Price gives a great performance because he's both the villain and the hero uh, in, in like the same person. So it's this constant battle basically between this, this descendant who is actually a good person and his, you know, evil witchcrafty ancestor. It's a lot of fun. It is one of the darker of the Corman adaptations, <laughs> um, amazingly enough. And because it is Lovecraft uh, and Lovecraft is generally not happy, uh, not, you know, joyful and buoyant or anything, but it, it's a really good adaptation. Very creepy, really well done. Nice. Um, so I do, I do recommend it. Also recommend some of the other Corman adaptations that I, I've been watching. I talked about uh, um, Comedy of Terrors, which is the, the Jacques Tourneur film last week. Uh, another one is The Raven, which again is supposedly an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven and is not at all. <laughs> uh, 
It's actually a comedy about warring magicians um, starring Vincent Price, Peter Lorre, and Boris Karloff with a special appearance by a very young Jack Nicholson as um, Peter Lorre's son. Oh my god! And it's so shocking because he shows up halfway through the movie. You're just like Jack Nicholson. What are you doing here? <laughs> um, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a uh, it's very funny. Basically, like Vincent Price and Boris Karloff are like these these warring magicians, and Peter Lorre shows up at Vincent Price's house one night, having been turned into a raven by Boris Karloff. So that's where the raven comes from. <laughs> and is begging Price for help, basically, and being like, can you please change me back? And also, um, also, let's go get revenge on this rival magician. And it's just, it's comedic, it's, paid, it's played very broadly. Uh, it, it is a lot of fun. And so in terms of a more fun film, maybe than The Haunted Palace, <laughs> I, I definitely recommend that one. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, for a couple of just fun, silly movies, um, I got my roommate to watch The Lost City this week. And that was a good choice. Uh, it's on Paramount Plus now. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That movie is so great. I love it. Yes. Loved that movie. I saw yes. that. Uh, I saw that last week. I saw that last weekend. It was Yay. great. Oh my gosh, it's so hilarious and just so funny and clever and yeah, love it. Um, and then also this one is, it, it, mileage will vary, but I quite enjoyed Senior Year on Netflix, which is Rebel Wilson. Um, she plays this girl who, or this woman, who her senior year of high school she was a cheerleader. There was an accident. She ended up in a coma for 20 years and missed all the last month of senior year of high school. And she's still like in her brain, still 17, even though she's 37. So she decides to, she wants to go back and, and finish off her senior year. <laughs> and a lot of people were comparing it to Never Been Kissed, which was really annoying me because that was a very, very different movie with very different uh, reasons behind the stuff that happens. And also, Drew Barrymore is pretending to be a high school student. In this case, everyone knows she's 37. No one thinks that she's actually a senior in high school. <laughs> <laughs> like, everyone knows why she's there. And um, it's just cute. I, I It's not, it's not like, brilliant. It's not particularly clever even, even but it's just really, uh, it's just a cute movie. So, if you're just looking for something that's a little bit escapist, go with one of those the last city nice. or senior year that's nice i i recently saw an article um and i, I won't link it or anything so i don't wanna, i don't call anyone out or anything that was like oh here's some hopeful movies and one of them was roshamon um, and another uh, one what? was <laughs> twin peaks the return what and i was like Hope i don't for what <laughs> i yeah exactly i was like i don't did you watch the end of Twin Peaks The Return? I, Did, I have you questions. seen Rashomon? <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, it's it doesn't end badly, but I wouldn't call it like, oh, this is, this is uplifting, particularly. Oh no. Wow. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I, ju I just saw that earlier today. I was like, that's are we sure about that? <laughs> positive that those are the those are the ones. Oh my but, gosh! Um, well, different strokes. 
Definitely. Yeah. Like, like I say, you know, sometimes I use, I watch Jalo films and I'm like, this is nice. I'm having a nice time. Just like, oh, a lot of people getting killed. Like, yeah, there you go. You know, talking about violence in movies and everything. One of the things with Jalo is that it's so stylized that it's like, this is fake. Like, this is a, this is a joke, right? It's not real. Um, And the blood looks like paint. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, no one's, no one's being killed. This is just silly. Right. And, and it's, it's, it's talking about genre. Um, anyways, I think that that is going to close this out. We hope to come back next week and have like a happier, more uplifting podcast about more uplifting things. Um, please, world, don't let us down. <laughs> like, like, please, we're, we're a little bit tired right now. Uh, uh, as, as always, uh, we want to thank our patrons who include Adriana, Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Carriata, Mason, Matt, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, Tao, and Will. Thank you so much, guys. And I do have to say that we have buttons coming. I am really excited about them because I fucking love buttons. Um, and I, they look good. Uh, we, we like have, we have placed those orders and everything. So we're going to get some stuff out to you. There's a shipping notification that just came up on my phone. Yeah, delivery. Sorry, delivery notification. They should be at your Ooh. house between twelve and two. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> um, that awesome. Can't wait. Yeah. So, so yeah. So we're gonna get those those out to you just as quickly as we can. But we are making progress on that. Just let everybody know. <laughs> um, if you want to join our Patreon, you do get other things beyond that. You get fun bonus episodes. Uh, you get access to episodes early. Like I say, we're going to get fun stuff out. And, and there's also going to be some more um, enjoyable things coming up on the Patreon really soon. So that's patreon.com slash citizen dame. We do still have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. There are a few new designs up there. And we also have our co-fights, co-fi.com slash citizen dame, where you can toss us a couple of dollars if you would like to. Um, our website is citizendamepod.com where you can read our reviews, including Karen's review of Top Gun Maverick, uh, my review of The Northman recently came out, and we also have a mini-sode that we just posted about The Northman, so you can run over there and hear our spoiler-free, we tried really hard, we did. Um, <laughs> discussion of The Northman and why you should definitely see it. Yes. Uh, you can also get in touch with us a multitude of ways. Our email is citizendamepod at gmail.com. And we are on Twitter and Instagram at citizendamepod. That's also on Instagram where you can find some of our recommendations, which we do every week. And we are also on Letterboxd at citizendame where you can find lists and fun stuff and uh, more recommendations because we watch a lot of movies. And people always ask us what they should watch. And so here, yes, we have them. Tell you. <laughs> We have them. We have so many things up there right now. More will be coming. Yeah. Uh, you can also get in touch with us individually. <laughs> I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> we will talk to you next week. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Congratulations, Bernard. What a fall. All the way down the stairs. <laughs> Wonderful. But then you always were good at falling from a great height. Can't compare, my dear Jeffrey, with your famous death scenes, which you have played so brilliantly for seven years. Bitch. <laughs>